Welcome to Third Opinion MD Podcast. I'm your host, Barbara Delatore. I'm an artist and physician out to change the healthcare system and change the way you interact with it. This episode is the very first time that I'm sharing with you my experience with what we call field recording. That's going out there, braving the elements of all the sounds that can interfere with good quality sound on a podcast, and I'm going outside and I'm interviewing people in Portland. And so I want to find out what do people think about healthcare and what do people think makes a doctor? And this is going to be for this episode and the next one. And I'm also bringing in a dear friend of mine. Her name is Alicia Harrington, and she is a fourth year medical student at an osteopathic school in Oregon. And she also is a teaching fellow. And both of us, what we share in common is that we love both types of medicine. We love Eastern Asian medicine or Chinese medicine, as we call it, and Western medicine or traditional medicine. I went to medical school, so I have an MD. And Alicia went to osteopathic school, and she's still there right now, finishing her last year. And she will be a DO. And both of us, when we finish our MD and DO, we both can apply for the same residency. So it gives you an idea that we are are equal, but with slightly different training. So we're going to go over that in season two. But I invited Alicia, and she was very gracious. I said, let's interview outside. Let's go and meet some people outside. And I started to ask questions. Okay, welcome, Alicia. You and I had walked the other day and tried sort of the field recording bit. And and I'm going to just tell you guys, I've never field recorded before. So this was my first time. And of course, there was some major equipment failure. But I think I'll be able to salvage some of that as you listen to this episode. You know, when we were walking around and talking to people, what was your take on how people were dealing with healthcare, their experience? Yeah, most people had had felt like there's definitely a struggle. It it didn't seem like their first response was a positive one when we asked them about healthcare. So it kind of depended on the person what their specific struggle was, but nobody revealed positive feelings right away. We had to kind of pry it out of them that they had had a few good experiences with some kind doctors, but for the most part, healthcare was a difficult system to navigate. Yeah, and that and that was across the board. I think you and I were interviewing I think six people on the day that we walked out to the community. And then yesterday I interviewed another four people and no one had anything really positive to say about it. And it didn't matter how old they were. In fact, the youngest generations were the ones that were most disgruntled about healthcare. Yeah, that's true. Whether it was because they didn't have access or had to pay cash for expensive tests that didn't reveal anything. I love to interview people who are passionate about integrating different systems together so that we can look at health in a different way. And again, remember, my expertise is in Western medicine and Chinese medicine. There are other types of medical models out there, but primarily the the premise is that if we have an integrated healthcare system, and I mean truly integrative, not going to a wellness center or a clinic that claims to have different providers with different skill sets, you're still going to different silos. In other words, you're going to one person who then charges you money, then you go to another person who then charges you money. They are not meeting in the same room to talk about you. You're seeing these people separately. What we really need is a system that incorporates these different tools in our toolbox to be healthier. But the most important tool is you. And that's where you need to come in and learn about how to take care of yourself. Chinese medicine offers what I call those gap fillers for Western medicine where we are lacking 
in preventive medicine, in chronic disease management, in really humane and compassionate ways of treating mental illness, Chinese medicine can step in beautifully for that. Western medicine still maintains their strengths in rescuing and in understanding things on a very microscopic level and taking things apart and really looking at the parts. But to look at the whole, you need the Chinese medicine model to do that. And if, whoa, what if we put these two things together? What if? Well, that's the intention. This episode is dedicated to the community because it's my intention to really be in touch with you. And I wanted to start with my own community in Portland, Oregon. So I decided to go walk out there and talk to people. And what I was surprised by is that everybody said yes to interviews. I was really taken aback by that because I thought people wouldn't want to talk to me. We're just getting out of the pandemic. Who's this person asking these questions? Asking about what, what's been your experience with healthcare? What do you think it takes to make a doctor? So while I talk to these community members, I'm going to also give you what I call the do's and don'ts to get the best out of the healthcare system. I have a full list for you. You can access this on my website. All you have to do is go to thirdopinionmd.org, scroll down to the bottom and join the email list and you will get that list of do's and don'ts to get the best out of the healthcare system. I call it sort of the pearls of accessing the system to get the best out of it and then avoiding certain pitfalls that can actually cause you more harm than good. You have to know because the system, as I've been talking about and as other guests have talked about, isn't perfect. In order to get to that kind of revolutionary change in healthcare, we have to evolve individually to do that. And in order to do that, we have to meet the system where it's at and then adapt ourselves to a new way of living healthier so that we don't need the system as much. The system in turn will adapt to us because if we try to go head on and say, you guys need to change, we're not really speaking that language. So it's really about a, a translation that's important here. I want to help translate how healthcare operates and in turn help you to speak with them. But we're going to go over a few points here as I interview different people on the street in the community I will comment on a couple of the points, but the rest of them will be on the website. What's your understanding of what makes a doctor? A degree. Okay. <laughs> How do you think it's working out with um, your experience? Well, I've been to doctor's appointments and had them been wrong before. So it's not like a foolproof degree that makes you the doctor. That's Deanna. She lives in Portland, Oregon, and we met at a typical place you would want to meet, food carts. Alicia and I were hungry, and everybody there was willing to talk to us, so it was a great place to start. Yeah, like, I appreciate medicine, and if you're in pain, drugs are good, but I've also been thrown through hoops and drawn in circles and paid a lot of money for, yeah, for, like, false diagnosis and is that through a big system or through a private clinic a big system yeah big systems are hard to, to be you know noticed and you almost feel like you're invisible yeah it seems like yeah yeah i used to work in a big system nice i mean maybe not actually <laughs> no it was all good learning nothing's yeah. bad right in For the sure. end it's if you can learn from it it's it's good what would you want to do if you could change anything like get a magic wand and you could change medical education or would you want to add to it or change it 
I would just want doctors to be a little bit more understanding that I know my body probably better than they do. Just in my 33 years of existence, I've seen probably like 17 doctors and they just look at a chart to identify me versus me knowing certain traits about myself or areas that maybe need more attention than others. You want to keep a detailed log of all your communication with healthcare representatives. Anybody you deal with in the healthcare system, you need to keep a record of it. And you can do this in a notebook, on your phone, anywhere really, but you just need to find some way, even index cards. You can go totally analog on this. It doesn't matter. You just have to maintain that so that every time you interact with the healthcare system, you're totally aware because they're going to make mistakes. There's too many people involved in your care. That can sound like a really good thing, but when there's a lot of people involved, then you've got that game of loss in translation or some miscommunication will happen. So you need to be prepared for that. Here's one thing. You might want to include a phone number that might be more direct to talk to the people that you need to speak with or writing down a department you need to really be speaking with instead of another. You'd be surprised how people get tossed from department to department to department. It's like the old phone prompts, please hold, and then they they transfer you to somebody else, and that happens like five times in a phone call. You've got to be that ace detective for your own care. At the same time, you want to be careful not to be your own worst conspiracy theorist, you know, when it comes to that, because it can be very taxing to be your own healthcare CEO, which is really what I'm asking you to do. But if you take all of these small steps and these tips that I'm giving you here, and you can have the full list on the website, If you do that, you lower that stress level and it becomes less of a crisis and more of just maintenance, just little bits at a time rather than swallowing large bits of information at once. That's too overwhelming and then you miss a lot. Um, I'm actually just now dealing with a situation through my work um, where I was injured on the job. I uh, sprained my knee and then I've, I've never had like such an aggressive experience like with a doctor like what what was that like what happened um i like like i said before i felt like i was constantly being interrogated as if i was like seeking attention or seeking like painkillers when i was really just like i want to know like i didn't know my knee was sprained until like three months after it happened just because the the rolling um diagnosis was that i had torn my meniscus in my leg so i was just like okay, I'm going to have to get surgery. Like, no one's giving me any answers. This is Lucas. He's 23 years old, and he's talking about his experience with the healthcare system when he experienced an on-the-job injury. Before then, he never really had to use the system very much. I just keep getting these screenings scheduled where they're like, yeah, this is probably what it is, and then like seeing this doctor and him being like, I think you're good to go back to work. And I'm like, no, I'm in a lot of pain and isn't, don't I have to get surgery? And he's like, no, like why would you need that? And I'm like, well, isn't this what's happening? And, and then he's like, no, I, you, have, you just have a sprained knee, like it's fine. Like, Did they do any imaging at that time? Yeah, they did an ultrasound and okay. I was going to get an x-ray. Yeah. Um, you gotta keep a copy of your health records and actually read them. And I'm not talking about that little visit summary that sometimes they'll give you after an appointment that shows maybe your vitals. Most likely it shows your name and date of birth and who you saw that day. It doesn't give you any information on what is going on with you or what you have. Now it's within your right legally 
to be able to look at your medical records and to see what doctors are writing about you, what nurses are writing about you. And they are also paying attention as well. Now, here's the caveat. What people write in your medical records can sometimes look kind of strange and odd because the language of medicine is different from the everyday language that we use. For example, if somebody is a poor historian, you know, that sounds terrible, but just means that you didn't share your information in a way that conveyed an understanding of what's going on with you. But you need to be your own medical detective here so that your healthcare records work for you instead of against you. You have the right to request your medical records, including office visit notes, tests, and medications, and you need to make sure that you request them every 6 to 12 months to look for errors. You need to look for expired health problems. Because these health problems, they live forever on your list, and you need to make sure that that's tidied up and updated. A lot of times, the providers actually don't have time to update your records in terms of your problem list. And again, problem list doesn't mean that you have a problem like there's something wrong with you as a person. Problem list refers to the list of conditions that you have dealt with in the past. Let's say that you were pre-diabetic and now you're no longer pre-diabetic. You don't need that on your list anymore. Or if you were misdiagnosed with a mental health issue, which in some cases people are wrongfully diagnosed based on unconscious bias, you need to check on that and make sure that that's accurate. Or if you are diagnosed with something that you're not comfortable with, you need to be able to talk to someone about it and why that's there and make sure that there's a mutual agreement about it. Again, like with my insurance, I could only go in for an appointment like every two weeks just because they were waiting for like a payout like every time. Um, And that same thing had happened to me with a non-work-related injury like about a year ago. Also, Did you ever need the system before you got injured? No. So you're kind of relying on things at home? Yeah, I, I kind of just like or... trusted, like that's, I didn't even think of seeking attention until it really was like, oh, I'm in so much pain that I don't know like what else to do. So I'm going to like go see a doctor. How did you injure it? Do you remember? Um, yeah, it was just like a weird like I was squatting while lifting something too mm-hmm. heavy and mm-hmm. just something happened. I was like, wow, I'm in a lot of pain. Um, I'm just going to not think about it, take it easy for a while. Eventually it'll be done. Um, like it'll, it'll get over itself. Like I've, I did sports through high school. That's just kind of what you do. Like it'll, it'll heal itself eventually. Don't wait until you have a crisis to know how to access the system. You need to be prepared And if you don't know how to access your healthcare services, that's like not knowing how to deal with a natural disaster, which most of us are also not prepared for either. This just goes down to a couple of basic things that we don't think about until we're in the crisis. So to prepare for a crisis, you would want to fill prescriptions at least three business days before you run out. You want to avoid that Friday afternoon panic call to the doctor's office. You also want to maybe call ahead to these main phone numbers from your insurance if you are lucky and fortunate enough to have insurance. You want to call and check out what is it like to call to get an urgent care appointment or to go to the emergency room. Call the main numbers and ask questions. Just say, oh, I don't need you guys right now, but what if I need you later? What's the process of me getting an appointment? You can't imagine how that's going to save you a ton of time later. I mean, my experience was just also haven't been the best. I've been on like the same medication since I was like 11. This is Annalise and she's 21 years old. She talks about the difficulties she had with filling prescriptions that she's been on for years. 
and it's like suddenly gotten really really hard to get um i don't like physically need it but i'm definitely like very addicted to it it's just like you know like adderall and like vibe so like a like for adhd yeah yeah mm -hmm. and i've been on that since i was 11 and i've been on the maximum dose um since i was probably like 14. um and the primary care physician that i was with recently had to change um and i'm i can't go back to the other place anymore because they were just treating me for like a certain thing mm -hmm. um and I'm suddenly like it's extremely hard for me to get them um yeah. I need to do like drug tests where I can't even like smoke legal sub completely legal substances that don't act with my med don't even like have any sort of like adverse reactions to my meds at all in order mm -hmm. to like even be considered it'll take like a week before I can reach them and I have to check in with them every single month do you want to need them anymore like if you could wave a magic wand, yeah. would you want to keep taking them? No, and I've like tried several things, but I don't have that much hope for like the like society that we live in to like change enough that I don't need them because I don't necessarily think it's a it's a me problem. It's like a problem that I like can't really like. I guess it's be a, as productive a, as as I'm supposed to. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a it's never a problem with just us. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's um, our community. It's everything around exactly. us. Back in the day, you would have your doctor that you could talk to, that you could trust. Well, lo and behold, doctors are not treated very well in the big systems because administrators outnumber doctors now 10 to 1, as of a recent report in 2022. So you do not have the luxury of having a doctor that's going to stay with you over the years. So it's really important that that's why I mentioned that you have to keep your own records, maintain control over your health situation. It won't be your doctor anymore. Your doctor is your guide. If you find a good one that you can stay with for a long time, wonderful. I love that, but that's rare. The more common thing is that your doctors will change. And so you need to be on top of what's going on with your health. Western medicine alone is not enough. It's just not enough. The system is limited. So it doesn't allow for you to really get a comprehensive, holistic view of your health. This is why I encourage you to learn also Eastern medicine to really fill those gaps. Now, this next person I spoke with was just delightful as well. And her name is Nolly. She's 23 years old. And if I was in the hospital with her, speaking with her, and I had five minutes, I would never truly find out really what was going on with her, what her narrative is that drives her concerns about her health. So we had some very interesting discussions. And so I'm going to take a little bit more time with Nolly here. Um, I've done a lot of acupuncture. Um, my, um, me and my mom have not had uh, luck with the like medical system at all. So... Um, yeah, there's a few like skin problems my mom has had that only worked through Chinese medicine and they couldn't, they only gave her like steroids, which is really bad for you, like steroid cream, which is bad for you to like constantly put all over your skin because mm -hmm. it makes your skin really like weak and like thin and stuff. So don't accept medication treatment or prescriptions without first knowing all of the options. Now, here's an open secret pharmaceutical companies are in the business of keeping us dependent, they are in the business of keeping us sick. Because if we are all healthy, they go out of business. They lose a lot of money. 
Medications, supplements, over-the-counter treatments, they all have good uses to help us through health events, sometimes long-term, sometimes a lifetime, but for the most part, they're not. They should never replace our own role in maintaining health. And several of these medications and supplements, they carry potential side effects, or what we call drug-drug interactions, and they can deplete nutrients. So there are nutrient depletions that are important to know about with each of your medications and supplements and herbs. The buck always stops with you. Your body is a priceless commodity, so you need to explore lifestyle options as well as other non-medication therapies. You want to weigh the risks and the benefits of taking or adding any medication to your list. Remember, your quality and your quantity of life depends on this. This Chinese medicine is the only thing that would work, and it was literally just like a soup full of God knows what, but it was like organic stuff, you know, it's like literally like like natural shit, but it's like one time like I had this like eczema shit, like an eczema sometimes, and the only thing that would help was these like tiny little black balls that have no clue they were, and I couldn't read the package or anything like would that. Would you want to know what those did? Would you want to understand oh, what kind to. of I treatments just, I just, the person who was the pharmacist couldn't speak English, and you just give them the, the slip from your acupuncture who can also speak limited English, and then it's kind of just, and then they give you this thing that was written on it, and then you, they tell you like, once a day or whatever, and then yeah. And so did it get better? Yeah, mm -hmm. went That's away. Great. Went away until um, a few, like a year ago when I dyed my hair and then got my whole thing back like 15 years later, but. So in the case of Nolly and her mom, she's talking about a skin condition known as eczema, which is an inflammatory condition or a condition that causes inflammation of the skin, redness, itching, scaling. And it's usually something that's inherited. What's really interesting is that Western medicine mostly treats it with a topical, sometimes they'll treat it with pills to stop that inflammation. The problem is those topical medications, they're a big problem used long-term and they only treat the surface. It's like treating a leaf falling from the tree rather than treating the root of the problem. So in this case, I'm really proud of what Nolly and her mom did. They sought different options. They knew better. They really were trying to look at all the alternatives and that would actually address the problem. So they sought acupuncture and herbs, which is part of Chinese medicine. And for them, it worked really well. Okay, I was gonna talk about this because <laughs> another reason why I hate the fucking medical system. Sorry, I'm just, I, you could swear. swear? Okay. Yeah. I'm not used to talking. To speak freely. That. Speak freely. I'm just not used to talking to people that don't have to swear around. I've had an ulcer for like two, three years now, and I went to the doctor four times with the same symptoms, telling them I've been I nonstop throwing up, can't stop throwing up. I have a burning, stabbing pain right here in my stomach, the exact spot. It, so then I would tell them all the basics, like literally this, like I, I'm hurting, like all this stuff. They'd be like, uh, you're fine, like you know. Four times I went for the same thing because I was either throwing up blood, I was like just in so much pain, I like had all this acid stuff, just throwing up bile, like all this like just nasty shit. Fourth time I went, they were like, okay, like I told them I think it's an ulcer. Like I think it's an ulcer, like cause I looked it up and I was like, I really like, I feel this way, I have all the symptoms, like literally every symptom I have. And they were like, mm, it's probably just extra acid. Like I'm just gonna give you, and they just gave me over the counter prescription, like not even prescription, just over-the-counter stuff. And then, and they didn't believe me for the fourth time. They did not believe me at all. And then it's the same doctor too, over the whole time. Don't yell 
Don't lose your cool as much as possible, if ever, in the healthcare system. Now, I know in America, the customer is always right, but in healthcare, you are not. You will become the, quote, difficult patient if you lose your temper or act out. It doesn't mean that it's not justified. It happens. We're all human. But the reason you don't want to earn this label is not that you're going to receive the worst care as a result, but you're going to attract very similar agitated or cold responses from the healthcare staff, which just spreads misery all around. And if you're getting angry and allowing your cortisol level to rise, that's terrible for your health too. You've got to be your best self and you will attract a similar reaction from other people. This is again that golden rule. It works. It really does work. Even though you may not get it right away, if you're consistent, you keep your cool. Don't yell. Stay in control. The system will serve you better. A week and a half later, I was on vacation. I had to go to the ER because I was throwing up so bad, I couldn't do anything. And then they told me I'm an ulcer and tried to figure out why. Yeah, and they're like, you don't seem to eat bad, you don't seem to do this. And then they're like, oh, do you have like a lot of like anxiety, PTSD? And I was like, yeah, like I like have a serious, serious amount. There's a study called the Adverse Childhood Event Study. Have you heard about that? Mm-mm. It's called ACE for mm-hmm. short. They tested, like interviewed 17,000 people, reviewed their charts. They found that anybody who had trauma has a higher correlation with certain physical illnesses. Mm -hmm. There's direct links. So if you don't treat the underlying root, then this is the part part of the problem with Western medicine. And again, I I love both because both have good things. Mm But Western medicine treats symptoms. Yeah, the Chinese medicine treats the root. My parents always told me that. Yes, yeah. but you need to treat the root. And that's what that's what I'm hoping that we can get a system that tre- teaches people like self-inter-doctor mm-hmm. type care. Because if we don't, because the system can't do it. You saw what COVID did, right? Hospitals were way overwhelmed. It got worse than it already was. And now, you know, we're gonna go back to what we did. We can't do it. A lot of people with PTSD, if they're not present, and you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. You're not present in your body. Mm-hmm. The treatment doesn't work as well. Mm-hmm. That includes drugs or chi mm-hmm. or, you know, using acupuncture. Does that make sense? Because well, you're yeah. checked out. Well, your body's also like, just like if you can, if you think about a situation, your body actually thinks you're there. Like, I have anger issues. And a lot of times I'll get mad or I'll, it's like someone will make me mad, but then I'll like imagine, I'll imagine like fighting them. But like, I imagine it's so hard. My heart rate is higher. I'm like, <sighs> like shaking because my body actually thinks I'm doing it and there and stuff like that. So then like, it's the same thing with like, and I know when like I have PTSD attacks, I can't see anything around me. Here's the elephant in the room. If we don't mention the word trauma, we're missing a huge component of healthcare and the disconnect that happens between patients and providers. Almost everybody has been through something. We've all been through stress at some point in our life, but Some of us have complex trauma. I would say many of us have complex trauma. What I want to encourage you to do is to learn about seeking help from providers who are trauma-informed. There is a term called trauma-informed care. More and more providers are being trained to look at trauma in a different way. Western neuroscience is talking about the same thing that Chinese medicine has recognized for centuries. Trauma, especially complex trauma, gets into the tissues, affects multiple systems. A lot of times it's difficult to recognize, if we're just looking at the symptoms like in Western medicine, we'll mistake someone getting upset 
with being a difficult person. We always have to understand their narrative. Now, this is beyond the scope of this episode, but in season two, we're going to really delve into that with an interview with Elaine Duncan. I just can't wait for you guys to hear about what she has to say about how we should understand trauma from not just a Western perspective, but an Eastern perspective as well. We're going to look at a Chinese medicine and Western neuroscience approach to trauma. Let's go back now to the conversation with Nolly, Lucas, and Annalise. The thing is, is that there are things out there, but I encourage you to explore some stuff because it's really, there's exciting stuff out there right now. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, the most Because anger's not, anger, like three minutes of anger is good for you. It's okay. More than three minutes of anger has long-term effects, but you can address it. I'm serious. No, I know. I'm just, I'm, yeah. I, I, have, I have issues, so. Um. All these issues can be worked on. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the cool part. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what, it, would you want to see something like that? Would you want to have it, if you could have access to things like that? Yeah, where absolutely. You can... And I think the promotion of that is important because if we are able to get, like, people collectively at a better, like, a better relationship with their bodies and taking care of themselves, then there isn't that much of a demand, there isn't that much of an overload on exactly. the medical system. This one is real important, too. Don't let insurance coverage dictate what you should do for your health. If insurance covers certain things that you say, well, because it covers it, I'm going to use that way of getting better. If that's not the best way for you to get better individually, don't fall into that trap. Self-care is the key to supplementing what insurance won't cover. Now, is it fair that they won't cover it? No, but we're not dealing with what's fair and what's not fair. We're dealing with what's possible at the moment. And in order to supplement that, self-care is necessary because insurance businesses, they are not in the business of taking care of people individually. They always work in their own best interest, not yours. Remember that. You know, imagine if if you're buying a new car and you've got this car insurance. Are you just going to rely on your car insurance to take care of all of your maintenance? No. You need to do other things to make sure that your car is in good shape. The insurance is there just in case. You want to make sure that you don't need the just-in-case because then the insurance may go up. You need to provide your own maintenance and improvement plans, no matter what. Especially now with the system the way it is, you have to do it. What kinds of things have you learned about for self-care and like lifestyle medicine? Has that ever been emphasized when you go to a healthcare appointment? Not with a regular medical doctor. Who, I, who I, do you go see for that kind of stuff? I met a lovely woman named Nada and her little dog named Zuzu. Now, Nada is 69 years old. She found a a good primary care doctor who listens to her. One of the things that we talked about was the challenges that she faced in speaking with doctors in general. She was trying to find ways to speak to them where they would listen to her. And here's what she had to say. Well, about 10 years ago, I did find a book that was supposed to teach me how to talk to a doctor so that they'll hear you. <laughs> and did it work? I tried some of the things. Uh, what, what, to give me one example of what you tried. No, I can't remember? even remember. Well, one of the things was don't tell them what you think it is. You know, if you're having an yeah. issue someplace, don't tell them what you think it is. It's true. Then, they, then they're not going to look at anything else. Well, even though you might know what it is. <laughs> the truth is, you know what it is. The truth, you know, one person told me earlier this week when I interviewed her, she said, 
What I would want a doctor to do is to, for the first time, understand that I know my body better, better than they do. And that's the way it should be. But we're taught to be objective and emotionless in medicine because it, it can, quote, cloud your judgment. Oh, okay. But healing is, I, my belief, you know, as also someone who really deeply cares about emotional health and mental health and spiritual health and physical, is that it's an exchange. So if you went into the office to see me, would you have more trust if we were talking like this? Or would you have, you know, because I, I would, if I listened, like you said, I think it, it's this, you'd probably trust me a bit more. Mm -hmm. And usually that's, that's not, not everybody's trained that way. And also they're under a lot of pressure. So these doctors are, I, honestly, I don't know how the system is still lasting as long as it is. Yeah. Because they're leaving the profession. Nurses are angry, they're overworked. Doctors are completely powerless, even yeah. though you think they have a lot of power. Yeah. They don't. If you become a difficult patient, you don't get listened to. Well, the reason I've stayed with this doctor is because she is probably the only one that I can go in there and say, I think this is what's happening. And she, she and respects she, that. And she will talk to me about it. This is the top of the list when it comes to the tips I give you on how to navigate through the healthcare system. When you finally get to see the doctor, you want to spend it wisely and efficiently. So the truth is, from the moment that doctor enters the room, the clock is ticking. And the average amount of time scheduled for a routine visit is 15 minutes long maybe even 10 minutes. And by the time you get to see the doctor, you've got seven minutes. That's right, seven minutes. That's not a long time. By the time the medical assistant checks you in, by the time they review your medical record, they take your vital signs, you will have about seven minutes to spill your guts to the doctor or to the healthcare provider that's seeing you. Again, it's tempting to consult with Dr. Google. Dr. Google usually tells you the worst possible cause of your symptoms. And you might think it makes sense to tell your doctor what you think you have and what tests you need in order to save time. But stop. <laughs> it's not that you shouldn't. In fact, Googling is fine. It's in our society. Everybody Googles. Doctors Google. It's just a thing now. But it's okay to search and form your own opinion. That's what I encourage. But this is about spending the time wisely and efficiently. And so I've created what's called a, a patient elevator speech. You know, when you give that elevator speech to somebody, you've got, you're going from one floor to the next, and you've got about maybe 30 seconds to convince someone that your idea is good. This is about convincing them to look at certain things that you feel are wrong with you because you know yourself best. As Deanna said, she, in her 33 years of existence, knows her body better than the doctor seeing her. 100% agree with that. The key is, how do you communicate that so that they listen? Because remember, doctors, nurses, physician assistants, medical assistants, they go to school, they learn a whole other way of speaking. And so if you have seven minutes and they speak a certain way, if you don't speak that way, you're not going to get through to them. This is a time crunch. There are things that you should include in your elevator speech. And again, you can look at this on my website thirdopinionmd.org and sign up for the email list and you'll get the free list. You want to write these things down and I call it the 10-point patient elevator speech. When did your symptoms start? What are they? Where are they? What's the quality of it? So you want to describe what it's like. For example, pain is what we talk about with quality, like 
What kind of pain? Not how severe. That's intensity. Is it sharp or dull, aching? Is it burning, stabbing, pulsating? You get the idea. Intensity is how severe it is on a scale of 1 to 10. And please don't say 20. (laughs) You can say it feels like 20, but it's actually a 9. 10 is the worst pain you've ever experienced in your life. And it's hard because a 1 to 10 scale is so small that sometimes it's hard for people to put it in there, but you need to put it in there. Think of what the absolute worst pain is. And if it's the pain you're having right now when you're talking to them, then it's a 10. All these things go into a 10-point patient elevator speech. Everything's included in the healthcare appointment checklist. As long as you have these 10 points, you have an idea, you're preparing. By nature, I'm a teacher. This is your homework. Next time you go to an appointment, even if it's a crisis appointment, you have something to write down and you can say, okay. Because if you start to speak that language, suddenly you're not that difficult patient. You will get the care that you need, the best care that they can provide. That's not to say that Western medicine is the only care that you need. This is also about how you would talk to a Western doctor. For an acupuncturist, you may just make sure that they're explaining things to you, that you understand Chinese medicine. That's where I hope to help you with these podcast episodes, is to understand the underlying principles of Chinese medicine so that you can communicate with the acupuncturist and not just be a passive recipient of aggressive care. Across the board, you should never be passive again. Your life depends on it. Your quality of life depends on it. Actually, you know what's interesting is when you and I walked around and talked to everyone, they all did Western medicine. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, everybody I spoke with tapped into acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Oh, cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. You know, I wish you were there. It was really neat because they would say, like one person said, I hate the healthcare system. But then when I talked to her about acupuncture, she's like, oh, yeah, acupuncture gets to the root of the problems. And I was like, oh, my God, right answer. That was great. She got it. So that's pretty cool. I'd like to keep going out there and just checking in with people. When you and I were walking out there, I was most surprised by really how hopeless the younger respondents were. Yeah, I would agree. They were so negative, and there's no one showing them what's possible. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's so much room for us to do that and to grow. What you have to say is really important. What all of you have to say is really important. So thank you to Nolly, to Lucas, Annalise, Nada, and Deanna. You guys were great. So that wraps up this episode where I reached out to the community for the first time. I want to know. I I really want to engage with the community. And if it means starting with Portland, great. But I mean all over. I don't care where you're from. Tell me about your healthcare experience. What has it been like? The other question I have for you, and this comes up for the next episode, is on what makes a doctor. What do we need to be doing with training our future doctors to make the healthcare system better. And I know it's more complex than that. Obviously, we've talked about that. I'm going to be really honest that going out to the community and asking people what their experience with healthcare is, is one thing. Asking them what it, they think makes a doctor is a totally other thing altogether. Because it might be polarizing for doctors to interview people about their experiences with doctors and healthcare. But my advantage now is that I have left the corporate system and I have the freedom to ask anything I want. And not only that, to really engage in 
real listening. True healing comes from real listening. It's my hope that community conversations will take us closer to that so that we can make this healthcare work better for individuals, for communities, and really improve our quality of life, improve the way we interact with one another, broaden how we look at health altogether. I'm really excited about, as I wrap up this season, this is the last episode of season one, going into season two, there are some really exciting things that I'm going to share with you. I have some wonderful guests who are coming on the show. I have an acupuncturist who has integrated Western neuroscience with Chinese medical principles called the five elements. And she talks about trauma and the stress response and how we can really treat trauma in a more holistic and integrated way. And I can't wait to introduce you to her. I have another expert coming on the show who is an expert on what makes orthodox and unorthodox medicine. So we're exploring the history of what's called quack medicine or quackery. Why do we define some medicine as okay and some as not okay, like these labels that we give? It's going to be so interesting. I can't wait to introduce you to him. We're going to talk about Chinese medical principles in another episode and discovering how the language of Chinese medicine can help you with your own self-care in the modern world. I'll continue with the scavenger hunt of my family history and go on to the next chapter. And then I will be bringing in a lovely gentleman who has had experience as an acupuncturist working with addiction and psychosis and treating mental illness in an entirely different way than we're used to in Western medicine. Season two is going to be quite eclectic, really interesting with people that are thinking outside the box. Season two will be starting on May 10th and will run for six episodes every second and fourth Tuesday. I'll bring Alicia Harrington. She's going to come back for episode seven, the first episode of season two. We are going to move into the conversation of what makes a doctor. The two of us have had integrated training, and Alicia is now finishing her second phase of her integrated training as an osteopathic physician. She will be graduating in 2023. But we're going to have some very engaging discussion about, can we do this differently? Do we have to continue medical school the way it is? The way people are talking about doctors and their healthcare experience, I think it's time to think about reframing education. This is literally my call to action to all of you. I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. Email me at info at thirdopinionmd.org. And although I'm interviewing people in the community, this is where I can put my feet down on the ground. I want to hear from anyone, anywhere, about your healthcare experience. I want to know what you think of the show. I would love to know what you would suggest. This is a movement. This is the call to make big changes. We can't live with this system anymore. We can't do things as we did before. We're coming out of this pandemic, and we know things cannot go back to the way they used to be. I look forward to hearing from you. And thank you again for listening. Please rate this on your podcast player. Share this with anyone you can. I rely on this very much for, for making this even possible. Keep listening. Keep talking about it. And I wish you well. Thank you. 
Third Opinion MD podcast is produced by me, Barbara Delatore, and is generously funded in part by a grant from the Regional Arts and Culture Council. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle. I'd love to hear from you. Please send me your comments, questions, or suggestions for future topics and guests you'd like to have on the show. You can find the contact form under the podcast tab at the website thirdopinionmd.org. Any comments made by the host or guest on Third Opinion MD reflect opinions about health care and self-care. Please consult with your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Be sure to follow or subscribe to this podcast and submit a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.